Good morning. Welcome to Axios Today. We made it to Wednesday. It's April 14th. I'm Nyla Voodoo. Here's what we're covering today. How the border crisis looks for Mexico. Plus, human rights in space. But first, today's one big thing. The FDA presses pause on the Johnson & Johnson vaccine. Yesterday, the FDA recommended pausing the use of Johnson & Johnson's COVID vaccine. This was after cases of a rare blood clot disorder in six American women. It developed one to three weeks after receiving the shot. One woman has died. Another is in critical condition. Dr. Julie Morita is a public health expert who has served on the CDC's Advisory Committee on Immunization Practices. They're meeting today to discuss this. Here's what she told Axios Recap host Dan Primack. What are the scientists saying? What are these review committees saying so that they can make an informed decision overall? But the key thing from my perspective is we know that the currently available vaccines are safe and effective and people should get those vaccines. Despite this prompt response by the FDA, many are left concerned about whether it's still safe to get it. Caitlin Owens is a healthcare reporter for Axios. Good morning, Caitlin. Good morning. What's the data showing about the chances of developing blood clots after getting one of these vaccines? So... As of yesterday, what we knew was there are six cases out of more than six million Americans that have received the J&J vaccine. Now, uh, officials are warning that now that this information is out there, we're probably going to start seeing more cases. Um, They'll just be caught more easily or people will know to be on the lookout for them. What we are seeing so far is that the blood clots are all among women and all among relatively young women around childbearing age. It seems like the risk may be specific to certain populations. But we don't know that for sure? We do not know that for sure. That's part of the reason why we're pausing the distribution is scientists want to review the data. They want to get more information and figure out how to best proceed forward. Given the other headlines around AstraZeneca, the other vaccine and clottings, is AstraZeneca in the same family of vaccines as Johnson & Johnson? It is. So, again, we still don't know if exactly the same thing is happening with both of them. But that is a question that scientists are raising. Is it this kind of vaccine that is associated with the blood clotting? Something that's important to note here is that the Pfizer and Moderna vaccines are mRNA vaccines. They're totally different than the AstraZeneca and J&J vaccines. If I'm someone who has a Johnson & Johnson vaccine appointment this week or next week, what are scientists saying about whether or not they should be concerned? the pause is still happening. So I would stand by to see if that appointment is still going to be there. But, you know, I think that we are getting more information. So stand by, wait for information. And then if you recently got the J&J vaccine, if you got it months ago, you're fine. You're in the clear. You know, some people are criticizing the FDA saying six out of a million cases and you shut it down or you hit pause saying that this just will backfire and increase hesitancy. You know, the kind of the public health world is saying this is exactly right. This is what the FDA should do. They should be 100% transparent throughout the process. And also, this shows that the process works. Where we found an issue, we immediately flagged it, and we're investigating before going further. Caitlin Owens writes the Axios Vitals newsletter. Thank you, Caitlin. Thank you. We'll be back in 15 seconds with the second part of our series looking at the immigration crisis along the U.S.-Mexico border. Welcome back to Axios Today. A couple more headlines we're following this morning. President Biden announced that all troops are expected to leave Afghanistan by September 11, 2021. The Taliban says it's boycotting all peace talks with the U.S. until all American troops have left. The police chief in Brooklyn Center, Minnesota, resigned, 
along with the police officer who shot and killed Dante Wright during a traffic stop on Sunday. Former officer Kim Potter may be charged as soon as today. And on the Caribbean island of St. Vincent, cruise ships are on standby to evacuate more residents as the La Soufriere volcano continues to erupt. But residents have to be vaccinated against COVID-19 before they can leave, the government says. One of our political reporters, Steph Kite, traveled to the U.S.-Mexico border last week. She accompanied a group of Republican lawmakers in South Texas and then later went to El Paso. Hey, Steph, welcome back. Hi, Nala. On Monday, we talked to you about your experience on the U.S. side of the border. Today, we wanted to talk to you about Mexico. You went to a shelter in Juarez. What was that like? Yeah, my colleague Russell Contreras and I, we got together with a nonprofit who works at some of these shelters and also helps welcome in migrants who are crossing into the U.S. from the Remain in Mexico policy. And we went to a shelter in Juarez, which used to be the most dangerous city in the world. And this was just a shelter that was in an old sports complex. And it's one of only two shelters in Mexico that's run by the government. People were certainly going through a hard time there. Just looking around, there were lots of very solemn faces. We were actually standing in line waiting to walk back into the U.S., And we looked to our left and there was a single file line, mostly of single adults, but also some families being marched across the bridge in the opposite direction towards Ciudad Juarez. You know, I remember just looking at their faces and there was one woman in particular who also her eyes were filled with tears. So you talked to a lot of the people there. What did they tell you? You know, we heard various different stories. Russ and I were talking to one woman in the shelter and a different woman rushed up to us and got our attention and immediately started telling us her story. She had a two-year-old on her hip and within seconds she was talking to us in Spanish and burst out in tears. She told us about how she had crossed the border, had been apprehended by Border Patrol, had been placed on a plane. So at that point, she thought that she was going to be released and reunited to her husband, who was already in Georgia, and her 11-year-old daughter. But instead, she was ultimately told, you're back in Mexico. And she told us the trip was not easy getting to the border. And so then to, on top of that, have that somewhat confusing experience and to be back across the border in Mexico was very traumatizing for her. Steph Kite is a politics reporter for Axios covering immigration. On Friday, we're going to talk about the rest of her and Russ's trip. Steph, thank you for being with us. Thanks for having me. Yesterday, we updated you about an unsuccessful union organizing effort at Amazon. Well, today, we wanted to talk about what that might look like in space. Miriam Kramer is Axios' space reporter. Good morning, Miriam. Hi, good morning. This sounds crazy, human rights in space. But how does it work if a worker is being mistreated, but the company they work for supplies their air and life support? At the moment, pretty much every astronaut that has been to space has been sort of representing a country or has been a space tourist going onto the International Space Station and has sort of a specific set of rights that they are kind of governed by and that they have while they're in space. When you have private companies building private space stations, wanting to build a city on Mars, what do workers' rights look like there when you have these companies that in many ways 
control every element of a person's life in space. So at the moment, there are some big thinkers and researchers, academics who are kind of looking at these issues and trying to sort of solve for them. Because while at the moment we're not sending people to a city on Mars, at some point in the future, that's likely going to be happening. So what they want to do is set a framework now that will help to govern this kind of thing in the future when it does eventually come to pass. One of the things that they're looking at at the moment is sort of the right to air, the right to a, a habitable environment, so that maybe they can wrest a little bit of control from what a company or even a government might uh, put in place for their workers on whatever planetary body that they find themselves on. Miriam Kramer writes Axios' space newsletter. Thanks, Miriam. Thanks. That's it for today. You can reach our team at podcasts at axios.com or send me messages directly on Twitter. My handle's Nyla Boo. If you want more news before tomorrow, tune into our afternoon podcast, Axios Recap. Thanks for listening. Stay safe, and we'll see you back here tomorrow morning.